I'm Donald Wayne, and this is Trice Talk Minipod for Saturday night, June the 19th, 2021. I appreciate you joining me for another episode of Minipod. Um, I hope everybody, uh, we, we had a tropical depression, tropical storm that uh, made landfall, I think, early this morning. Uh, it's been dumping a lot of rain. I have not heard anything in the news about any serious wind damage or any uh, storm damage. But uh, quite honestly, I haven't seen a lot of news today. So uh, I, hopefully everybody is, is faring as best they can. It's dumped a lot of rain in areas. In fact, a lot of rain has come up through uh, Georgia and the Florida Panhandle and so forth. So, uh, But I haven't heard anything about any... Uh, like I said, severe storms because of that. So hopefully it'll just blow on and, and weaken um, as it travels northward and maybe do more, no more damage than just uh, a lot of rain and maybe some uh, isolated flooding. So it's been a rainy day all day in Georgia and parts of Florida and Alabama. So um, tonight, I, last night I talked about uh, some voting issues, um, uh, the recounts that are going on and so forth. And uh, tonight I'm, I'm not going to talk on that uh, again. There were some other issues I left undone last night, but I thought I'm, I'm going to save those and hopefully we'll get a little bit more uh, information during this coming week about some of these issues where there's some kind of conclusion to some of these audits that they've been doing and some progression in the audit that they're trying to do in uh, Atlanta, Fulton County, Georgia. So I thought, well, tonight I'm going to talk about a couple of things um, that I've, I'm going to share some articles with you that I saw uh from Huckabee's morning edition today, June the 19th. And uh, there's a there's an additional commentary from um, Stephen Cruiser of PJ Media that, that follows the first story that I'm going to uh, read you from Huckabee. And it's talking about who is the real threat in this country. In fact, Huckabee entitles his, Who is the Real Threat? Uh, as you know, the Department of Justice has made some um, uh, 
statements that they're going to pursue uh, a lot of people regarding the incident that occurred in Washington, D.C. on on January the 6th, even if it goes into uh, people in the Congress or other supporters of Donald Trump. So they're basically waving a flag saying, we're coming after these folks, whatever it takes to get to the bottom of June, I mean, January the 6th. And then the second article, if I have time to get to it, it's just kind of an update on the McCloskeys, which is that couple from St. Louis, Missouri, that got in trouble last year for protecting their property from people who had broken into their gated community. So we'll see how uh, that goes if I have enough time to get to that, but I'd like to do both of these tonight. So first of all, I'll go to Huckabee's morning edition, and I'm going to start out with his comments, and then I'll switch over to PJ Media and the comments from Stephen Cruiser. Huckabee starts out by saying, watch former FBI assistant director for counterintelligence, Frank Figluzzi, I'm thinking that's how it's pronounced. Uh, He was on MSNBC, and he said, to fight domestic terrorism, the feds may have to go after people around the former president and even current members of Congress who supported Donald Trump. He said federal law enforcement needs to proactively attack Congress members who exhibit cult-like leadership. Cult-like leadership. All right. Apparently, if you criticize establishment politics and entrenched, corrupt, hyper-politicized, power-abusing bureaucrats, you're recruiting people to violence. Huckabee says, well, I criticize those things daily, but I've never encountered anyone to, I've never encouraged anyone to commit violence. Quite the opposite. And in fact, meanwhile, I see people on the other side who are committing violence and terrorizing our cities daily, while Democrats in Congress defend and excuse them. Should the feds attack them? Or does freedom of speech only apply to leftist speech? I've talked about that a number of times on the many pods that I've been doing and on uh, Tristalk Live. It seems, you know, that freedom of speech and freedom of expression only counts if you support the policies that are uh, of, of left wing people in charge. So Huckabee goes on to say, I guess we know where Mr. Figluzzi comes down on that question. This is an eye-opening look into the mindset of those who are trying desperately to criminalize any disagreement with leftist politics and massive, unaccountable federal power. Anyone who expresses such views should never be allowed within a thousand yards of federal power. That's why the only good thing about his title of former FBI assistant director for counterintelligence is the word former. Turn out in massive numbers to vote for Republicans so we can keep it that way. And then he goes on to reference 
the article on PJ Media by Stephen Cruiser, which I'm going to move over to that now. And the title of Stephen Cruiser's article, which was dated June the 17th in PJ Media, is Enough with the White Boy Domestic Terror Threat Fiction. Stephen Cruiser starts out by saying, As I sit here at my desk gazing out at a beautiful but hot Sonoran desert day in late spring, I find myself remarkably free of any urges to go out and commit an act of terrorism here in the domestic confines of my beloved United States of America. Or anywhere else, for that matter. Yet, were you to be a big fan of the priorities of the bad community theater play that is our current presidential administration, you would no doubt believe that my days are spent making pipe bombs and preparing to act out in any number of violent ways to express my displeasure over the current state of affairs here at home. The Democrats' contention that the biggest threat to the United States here in President Puppet's America comes from disaffected Trump voters who are trying to revive the KKK is a dangerous lie for a number of reasons a couple of which I will examine here. To begin with, let's begin with a update of the current state of Democrats' pathological obsession, which Tyler wrote about earlier this week. On Tuesday, President Joe Biden released a blueprint for his new war on terror. In the National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism, the Biden White House pledges that the administration will combat domestic terrorism while vigilantly safeguarding peaceful expression of a wide range of views and freedom of political association. Yet the administration's biases give conservatives good reason to doubt his pledge. The White House claims that the two most lethal elements of domestic terrorism are racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists who advocate for the superiority of the white race and anti-government or anti-authority violent extremists such as militia violent extremists. The current lays out four elements of a strategy to fight domestic terrorism. That's a document lays out four elements of a strategy to fight domestic terrorism. Sorry about that. Sharing domestic terrorism analyses at all levels of government and occasionally with the private sector, preventing domestic terrorism recruitment and mobilization to violence disrupting and deterring domestic terrorism activity and confronting long-term contributors to domestic terrorism. Making sure that we knew his handlers were serious, El Presidente Finger, I 
not sure what that's referring to, sent his chief henchman out to let us know that the Department of Justice is locked and loaded and aimed at every white guy who voted for Donald Trump. Now, he has a uh, reference to a, a tweet here from the New York Times, which I'm not going to use because it has a little audio with it. Uh, that'll be posted on Facebook as we always do after the shows here at Trice Talk and Minipod. Again, thanks to Mitch McConnell for keeping this jurisprudential stain off the Supreme Court. Of course, Garland didn't actually say that he was gunning for Trump supporters. I have just heightened powers of inference. It's not just me, actually. We all know that weaponizing the federal government to harass Trump supporters is what this is really about. I'm not even a Southerner, but I find myself wanting to say, bless their hearts, more and more in response to something I read about the Democrats. Yes, they are awful and they are trying to be very scary right now. But they're really just pitiable little creatures who are deserving of all of our derision. Despite having been successful at whatever the heck it was that they did last November to get the drooling embarrassment that is Joe Biden installed as a front man in the Oval Office, the Dems remain forever miserable and unable to stop thinking about Donald Trump. Not that I think that some modern-day Democrats are very introspective, but the Trump fixation is obviously creating some inner conflict in all of them. No doubt a lot of that can be traced to the daddy issues that it seems every Dem has. I'm pretty sure that's the fuel that keeps their hatred for Trump burning. This is making them act out. The Democrats pulling Biden's strings know that they have already done the worst thing that they can do to him, but they're not satisfied. Now they're enraged in a wholesale jihad against anyone who supported Trump. The key components of their attack involves keeping alive the canard about all Trump supporters being racist. It has never been true, but when was the last time any of us can remember the Democrats caring about the truth. They still got the media calling us racist 24-7, but that's losing a lot of its oomph thanks to the whole boy who cried wolf thing. They need a new approach. Thus, the myth about a massive threat from the white domestic terrorist was born. Maybe not born, but greatly expanded. Do remember that these are the people who have spent over a quarter of a century telling us not to hyper-focus on Islamic extremists as a threat because of Timothy McVeigh. Yes, McVeigh was evil. He was also a statistical anomaly when it comes to the terror threat profile here in the good old U.S. of A. Now they're taking that statistical anomaly approach and using it to throw a big media blanket over deflection over the fact that it is most definitely not Trump supporters of any color who could have been torching and looting things since last summer. 
I know several people who were at the protest on January the 6th, with the exception of one friend who works in the government and who was at the Capitol, all say they didn't see anything violent. It was truly was a mostly peaceful protest. And it's funny. I'm going to break away from that just a second. It's funny. I think back to that 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 uh, one uh, news video that circulated, got a lot of attention last year when that reporter, I think it was from CNN, if I'm not mistaken, forgive me if I'm wrong, was standing there, I believe in Seattle or Portland, one of the two cities that was burning. And I was saying, well, that, you know, the 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 uh, protests are mostly peaceful as they have a bonfire going something's on fire a car or something behind him a building a huge blaze mostly peaceful while rome burns now what happened at the capitol was inexcusable it was not, however, an insurrection. It was a riot. The Democrats and the MSM had just spent six months avoiding that word at all costs, so perhaps they simply forgotten what it means. I'll play fair here. If they want to call the January 6th rioting terrorism, then we have to brand Antifa and Black Lives Matter as terrorist organizations too. Given the extent and the cost of property and lives and the, of the havoc they've been wreaking since last May, both groups are far and away the more significant terror threats facing us right now. Sadly, rather than be serious about keeping the country safe, President Puppet wants to to play a game of semantics in order to purge more than 74 million Americans from the national political conversation. By the way, the other actual terrorists are still out there. Busy Allahu Akbaring. <laughs> oh, I guess that's Allahu Akbaring, I guess. Eh, first time I've seen that word. Us over and over. When a criminal doesn't fit the color profile of the Democrats' great imaginary threat lie, a full move along now, nothing to see here, effort goes into effect. The biggest threat to freedom right now is a government that's been run by rabid, un-American ideologues who are using an isolated incident to wage a protection protracted war against anyone who disagrees with them. That drunk dude with the horns on his hat ain't the one we need to be worrying about. So that's, that's it for the Stephen Cruiser comments on PJ media media. Uh, just a little bio here on, on Stephen Cruiser. I, I, I did not know this. This is the first time I think I've seen anything by him. It says he's a professional stand-up comic writer and recovering political activist who edits and writes for PJ's Morning Briefing. So he writes, you know, he tries to write humorous spins on truthful-based articles. But, yes, there is some opinion uh, injected into this piece, which are, it is 
on CNN, MSNBC. Do not think that these people do not offer their opinion. The president of the United States last week in the press conference injected several statements that he made at, at, at the uh, uh, at the press conference or briefing, whatever it was, that were untrue and have been proven to be untrue. Yet he said them on the world stage, but yet he will not get any criticism from anybody else except conservatives in places like Fox News or publications like PJ Media or, or uh, Huckabee's columns, uh, the Epic Times. I mean, there are there are smaller voices that do complain and try to tell the truth and try to point out the inequities between what the Democrats want to hold the conservatives to a standard, yet they're not willing to live by the same standard themselves. So anyway, that's that's it for that particular article. And I think I've got a little time here for the update. Uh, let me pull that up. But, you know, going back to it, I'm, I'm kind of like him. And when he started out, you know, I'm tired of hearing this white racist theory crap that's been, uh, I mean, it's, it's just been blown up the last, I don't know, year. I mean, you know, the, the term racist and racism has, has been rampant throughout Donald Trump's uh, term in office. But, you know, you think that that might die down some uh, when they, uh, when they were successfully got rid of him, didn't let him have another, or didn't allow him to have another uh, four-year term, but it hasn't died down. It's almost like this is their ammunition to try to keep something like Trump from ever happening again, or maybe even let's expand that even more. They don't want conservatives to ever be successful again. They don't want Republicans to ever be successful again. And, and taking power in this country. And they're masters at throwing out, uh, you know, there's, there's some terms that you can use in this country that always people, for some reason, seem to take it at heart as being true, even without proof. This, this statement that, um, that a majority of white people in this country or especially maybe white men are racist is insane. But yet it gets used a lot because they know that people have a hard time fighting back, fighting back against something like that. When you say someone is a racist or a group as a racist, people are afraid to push back. But as we talked about a little bit last week, there are people standing up in this country. There are people, and it's not just white people standing up. Conservatives of all races are standing up for themselves and for the beliefs of the conservative movement, of the conservative party, Republicans, if you will. There are people standing up all across the country because they were having enough. They're tired of this stuff being shoved down their throat. They're tired of being called names. They're tired of being told that they owe somebody something 
for their beliefs, even who they voted for. This coming week on Tristalk, uh, I've, I've heard a couple of excellent uh, uh, little mini speeches uh, in the last several days that I'm going to try to use on some of our uh, podcasts next week. Well, which start tomorrow night uh, that are pushing back against liberals and all this racist crap that's coming down in the country everywhere. I mean, every segment of our society right now, there's an attack on conservatism, Republicans, whatever. If you're not a liberal, if you're not supportive of Joe Biden and the Democrats or, or, you know, their policies, even if you are against uh, certain, if, if you're against the uh, voting bill that they're trying to get, the Democrats are trying to get passed, you're a racist. If you're not supportive of them trying to make D.C. a state, you're a racist. So almost every answer to everything that a conservative may be against in this country is because you're a racist. It's either because you're white and you're a racist. But the problem is, as more and more black conservatives stand up and say, you know, don't listen to these people. They do not speak for me. you notice they have a hard time pushing back against them. Especially more and more that stand up and say, this is not what I believe in. You do not represent me. The Democrat Party does not stand for my values, the things that are important to me and my family and my children growing up in this country. So the pushback is good. So I'm going to be using some of those things this upcoming week because I think it's important that people understand that conservatives are just, they're not going to take it anymore, lying down. They're going to push back. And actually that kind of ties into this story about the McCluskeys in, in kind of a way because the McCluskeys is that couple in St. Louis, Missouri last year that, uh, uh, it was all over the news because they stood on their front porch or I guess the front of their house. I don't know if it was actually a porch, but um, both of them armed. I think the husband had a, a rifle and, and the wife had a pistol, which she wasn't holding very well. Uh, at least the shots that I saw, uh, I was afraid she was going to shoot her husband the way she was holding it. But... Um, I forgot what month it was. I want to say it was in May, but uh, anyway, it was last year. And so they were standing there and this, this group of protesters who were uh, protesting, uh, well, it was part of the George Floyd protest movement that occurred last year after that happened. He was killed by the policeman. So uh, they, these, these protesters broke down the fencing around this gated community. I'm not sure where it is in, in St. Louis, but anyway, they broke down the fencing to the gated community. So, you know, if you, 
if you got a group of people breaking down fencing to gain entrance into, I mean, it was a, it must have been a fairly uh, upscale uh, subdivision. Uh, number one, have gated uh, fencing. And so the McCluskeys stood their ground on their front porch as these people came uh, marching down the street, I guess. And uh, of course, there's all kinds of video of that event. And they basically exchanged words with the, the people in the crowd and told them they're not coming up into their property. And um, anyway, so let me let me just read this updated article. It was on the uh, Western Journal found this on the Western journal. Of course, it was also referenced in, uh, in Huckabee's, uh, morning edition, June the 19th as well. But this, uh, particular article is by Michael Austin. And it says McCluskey's plead guilty, come out swinging with a fiery statement by God, I did it. And I do it again. On Thursday, Mark and Patricia McCluskey, the St. Louis couple who went viral last year for waving their guns at people protesting perceived racial injustice, pleaded guilty to minor charges related to the incident. Mark McCluskey, 64, pleaded guilty to fourth degree assault, which is a class C misdemeanor. And his wife, Patricia, 62, pleaded guilty to second degree harassment a class A misdemeanor, according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Okay, now let me stop there, because first of all, how are you harassing people if you're defending your property and you're telling people who are threatening you, uh, supposedly there was threats against the couple and about them, these people, we're going to break into your house and we're going to do this and da-da-da-da-da. And so how is it harassment if you're standing there, even if you have a weapon saying, no, you're not coming up into my yard, you're not coming up into my house, you're not doing anything to me or my property. How is that harassment? I'm trying not to use ugly language here. Okay. Because <laughs> we don't, we don't do that on Trice Talk. But I don't understand that. These, she's charged with a misdemeanor of second degree harassment. She wasn't the one harassing. The people who broke down the fence to this fenced community are the ones doing the harassing. They're the ones doing the threatening. You do not have a right in this country. You have a right to protest peacefully per the constitution, but you don't have a right to go on anywhere you want to in this country and do that. No more so than you would have a right to go into a private building or even like I say, a Walmart or, or, or any other kind of a store or Kroger or Walgreens and walk through there and protest and carry on because that's private property. But she's standing there with her husband telling these people, you're just trying to give them some incentive. You're not going to come up here and harass us. And that's harassment. That's harassment in this country to protect your property that's yours and not theirs. They do not have a right. Why aren't they guilty of uh, uh, trespassing? 
and the husband gets uh, has to plead guilty to fourth degree assault. He didn't assault anybody. He didn't touch anybody. He stood there and said, you're not going to come up here and you're not going to hurt us and you're not going to destroy my property. But that's assault. I thought you had to touch somebody to be, uh, you know, for assault. Of course, I'm not a lawyer. All right. So it goes on to say the two will have to pay $750 and $2,000 fines respectively, but neither party will face any jail time. Well, there's a consolation. But keep in mind, this crap's been going on for almost a year. As part of the deal, both McCloskeys also agreed to give up their weapons. The couple asked that their rifles be donated for use in charity fundraisers, but their request was denied by Circuit Judge David Mason. This particular resolution of these two cases represents my best judgment of an appropriate and fair disposition for the parties involved as well as the public good. Richard G. Callahan, the special prosecutor in the case, said in a statement. Well, bless your heart, Richard G. Callahan. This certainly can be seen as a win for the McCloskeys, given that they were charged with much lesser crimes when compared to their original indictment, which was two felony charges of unlawful use of a weapon and evidence tampering. I'm not sure what the evidence tampering was, but in defense of their actions at the time, the McCloskeys alleged that protesters had broken down the gate, alleged had broken down the gate to their private street, trespassed on their property, and even threatened to murder the couple. Mark McCluskey said this ruling was a win for him and his wife. Following the proceeding, he even said, this is a good day for the McCluskeys, according to the Post-Dispatch. The prosecutor dropped every charge except for alleging that I uh, purposely placed other people in imminent risk of physical injury right. And I sure as heck did, he said. That's what the guns were there for, and I do it again anytime the mob approaches me. In other words, I stood out on the porch with my rifle and made them back up. And that's what I'd do again. If that's a crime in Missouri, by God, I did it, and I'd do it again. McCloskey may believe this ruling may be a win, but there are many who still believe lesser charges or these lesser charges are completely unjustified. One such person is none other than Republican Missouri Governor Mike Parson. Last year, Parson said he would certainly consider pardoning the couple should they face any indictment. On Thursday, a spokesman from the Parsons office told this post-dispatch that the governor's team is currently evaluating the situation. Given all the evidence we saw committed by racial justice protesters over last year, there's no telling what could have happened to the McCloskeys had they not stood up to the crowd of so-called protesters invading their property. Fortunately, no one was hurt on either side thanks to the firearms.
Now I'm looking at, a, uh, there's a little video that's included with this, which was um, actually taken last June the 28th. So I guess it, it's almost been a year. Um, the wife is, looks like she's got her pistol pointed towards the crowd, uh, but the husband and his automatic rifle is, um, is pointed away from the crowd. I would imagine they were scared and, and, and most, most places that I've heard about and read about, you know, if you feel like your life is in imminent danger, you have a right to protect yourself by whatever means necessary. That doesn't mean they should have started shooting people. I would have let somebody get at least two to three feet away from me. And then there wouldn't have been any doubt. I wouldn't have started shooting them you know, as soon as they stepped on the grass or the driveway. Um, and I don't know if they actually physically, the crowd physically got into their yard. Of course, they should have been a little bit uh, um, inhibited by the fact that uh, the couple had guns. I just think it's sad, you know. Uh, groups of people last year, you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of sad events that came out of last year. And, and regardless of your opinion about George Floyd, which was a, a terrible thing to happen and should not have ever happened at all, but that doesn't justify the looting and the burning and the destruction that followed last year of innocent people had nothing to do with what happened to George Floyd. You could even make a case if, if those rioters and, and those people that were upset about the events of last year targeted police departments and burned police cars and, and, and police precincts and so forth, which they did burn one down to the ground. And um, I think it was Portland, wasn't it? If they had directed all their violence towards the police departments, not saying that they should have or that I wish they had, but if they had, that would have at least been a response to what they said the problem is. And the problem being, you know, uh, the inequities with the treatment that minorities get from white police departments. Of course, that did occur in a Democrat-controlled city. But they directed their violence towards innocent people. Even minority-owned businesses were devastated last year by the, you know, and and <laughs> so you know, for this couple to stand out there and say you're not going to destroy my home, they had every reason in the world to believe that these people could have done some destruction to their home even if they had thrown uh, Molotov cocktails against their house or tried to burn it down, or even if they had, you know, they may have assaulted them. But you don't have to wait till somebody attacks you under most laws before you can take action. If you feel threatened, I'm looking at a people, I don't, I, I never could tell how big the crowd was based on, on the video. Cause I don't think there was ever more than maybe 
10, 15 people in, in the, the shot that I would see posted. But it doesn't matter. 10 or 15 people against two is a lot. You see all the violence that was that occurred on the streets last year, uh, you know, especially when people were by themselves or maybe just a number of two or three, and they would be attacked by four or five, six people in a mob just uh, randomly attacking them. So I think it's a shame and it's an injustice that these people have been charged with anything when all they were doing was just telling this group of people, you're not going to do anything to our home or us. We're not going to let you do that. And they didn't shoot anybody. They just, that was deterrent. That was a deterrent, folks. But obviously the people, this prosecutor in St. Louis doesn't agree. We'll see what that Republican governor, if he does anything with their conviction. I hope it it's not uh, to the point where they're not allowed to possess far, firearms anymore since they're taking those two uh, guns away from them, that would be an injustice. That would leave them open to future attacks by people. All right. Okay. So I went a little long tonight. I apologize. This, this, this story bothers me. A lot of stories from last year bother me, but this people use liberals use these kind of events as an excuse they want to make it an excuse to limit our access to guns or, or remove our access to guns. And you want to think about why? People don't have a right to protect themselves. Yes, there are bad people who do things with guns. But, you know, it's been said a number of times, people who are inherently criminal, they, they involve themselves in criminal activities as a matter of a way of living, no law that you pass is going to prevent them from getting guns and having guns, having weapons. Any laws that we pass in this country to limit people's rights to firearms is going to affect those people who should have a right to protect themselves. You cannot depend on law enforcement to do that. Alrighty. So with that being said, uh, I want to remind you that uh, we've crossed over the midnight hour. So it's now Sunday, uh, Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to anybody. Of course, by the time you listen to this, uh, it's just probably going to be after Father's Day. But anyway, uh Keep in mind that uh, I'll be on tonight with my son, Dennis Lee, for Trice Talk Live on Sunday night. Uh, and I guess, you know, it'll be kind of special. It'll be the first time we've been able to do a um, podcast on Father's Day together. So uh, it's kind of special being that, um, you know, 
we do a podcast together. So we'll be on at 10 o'clock tomorrow night, Eastern time here on Podbeam. Hope if you get this message that you will tune in for our Father's Day edition of Trice Talk Live. All right. I want to thank anybody that um, listened to this podcast, this um, downloaded this podcast tonight, and hopefully you'll join me again. The next uh, mini pod will be on Monday night. I only do them on the nights that we don't do the Trice Talk Live. And uh, I generally do them at least three times a week. So uh, going into the month of July, I'm thinking about changing a few things up and might even try doing a live uh, version of Minipod, maybe in an afternoon. Uh, that's details are still being worked out and may have a guest or two to join me for that. So um, let's see what happens in July. And uh, I'll give you more details on that as we get closer. So with that being said, I'm going to uh, key in the uh, exit music for tonight and uh, hope everybody has a great Sunday. And I hope this uh, little tropical depression, if you're on the eastern side of the United States, I hope it uh, doesn't uh, ruin your Father's Day activities. Stay safe, everybody.